Hello and welcome to Charity Chat, the ACNC's podcast. My name is Matt Crichton and I work for the education team here at the ACNC and for this episode we've got something a little bit different. I sat down with Susan Pascoe in her last week as the Commissioner of the ACNC just to get her thoughts on her time at the ACNC, its establishment and the state of the charity sector more broadly. We hope you enjoy the chat. I'm joined by Commissioner Susan Pascoe to discuss her time as Commissioner of the ACNC and we might be able to get some of her views for the charity sector and the future of the ACNC. But I must say on the outset, Susan, would it be more accurate to call you the outgoing Commissioner Susan Pascoe because the end of September does mark the end of your time at the ACNC. It does, and it's amazing how quickly five years have gone. And in my case, because I was appointed to lead the task force to create the ACNC, it's more like six years. Right, yeah. So it's been quite uh, an extended time period, but also I think it's been, for me personally, uh, a significant part of my career. Uh, And given that this may well be the last full-time salaried position that I take, uh, what a wonderful role to um, finish up on. Yeah, well, five years ago, you were in the midst of setting up the charity regulator from scratch, but, but it wasn't always plain sailing to get to that point, was it? No, and I've thought about that quite a lot. I do think that at the heart of it were um, deeply held opposing philosophical views about civil society and indeed about public administration. So on the one hand, you had a position that was largely supported by Labor and the Greens that sees uh, the charitable sector as a very important part of civil society, but also as contributing to the economy Mm -hmm. and therefore warranting some form of regulatory oversight. Um, And that viewpoint also acknowledges that considerable taxpayer monies are provided via tax concessions to charities uh, and therefore there's a legitimate role for the government to oversee the proper expenditure of those monies. Mm, So that's one philosophical viewpoint. The other viewpoint, I think which was probably most articulated by Kevin Andrews in opposition and then when he became the Minister for Social Services, but certainly under the Abbott government, was the view that Again, charities are a critical part of civil society, but that view went on to say there is no role for government to oversight and regulate civil society. By definition, um, it ought to exist aside from government. Right. And consistent um, with that viewpoint, I think, was a view of public administration that prefers small government Mm -hmm that prefers ministerial decision-making and not decision-making in arm's-length bodies like um, statutory entities. Um, but also in that view uh, was the, uh, the position uh, that not much mischief was evident in the sector. Right. And therefore, uh, that view didn't see the need for a regulator that would have enforcement powers that would be able to intervene in the affairs of charities. So you can see they're quite diametrically opposed views. They're both very legitimate views, um, but they're not views where you could easily come to a rapprochement because they... Sort of irreconcilable. Almost, yeah, yeah, almost. Um, So that, I think, was why 
when the uh, legislation to create the ACNC well, initially was put out as a draft bill in December 2011, but then when it was presented to the House um, after extended additional consultation, right. um, it resulted in three parliamentary inquiries. Uh, and that is because, the I think, at the heart of it, the philosophical and political positions were so different. Yeah, okay. Right, and you mentioned that there wasn't the uh, requisite evidence of mischief within the sector to demand a regulator on one side of that philosophical mm. view. But the ACNC is unique in that it came about on the back of lobbying from the sector itself. So the sector that the ACNC was set up to regulate was calling for its own regulation. Yeah, which is remarkable. Uh, I do think, if you, if you read any of the submissions that were written at the time, uh, what was in the mind of um, the peak bodies in, in the, the charitable sector and many of the opinion leaders was that they wanted to operate on a comparable regulatory footing to the other two sectors, to government and business. Right, yeah. They wanted a clarity about their operating rules. Um, they wanted uh, some capacity for those that weren't playing by those rules to be identified mm -hmm. um, and to have consequences. In other words, they wanted some means of being able to demonstrate to the broader community, and I think to themselves, that they were just as professional, just as capable as the other two sectors. And I think there was also a growing knowledge of the growth of the sector and what our data now shows is, in fact, it's a very significant part of the economy. Yeah. Until we got in annual financial reporting on from the charities, we actually didn't know how big, but we now know it's worth almost $135 billion yeah, right. uh, per annum, um, that it's the second biggest employer in Australia with 1.1 uh, million employees and around 3 million volunteers. So we now know that this is a very substantial part of the economy whether it's fueled by um, paid employees or volunteers. Very significant part of the Australian society and the economy. And once the ACNC was set up, what were some of the hurdles that you came across early on? Prior to the ACNC, the, the ATO, the tax office, had assigned um, charitable status for the purposes of applying tax concessions. But that was it. They had no other role. Um, they weren't funded to do any more. And so they would assign charitable status at a point in time, but they had neither, I think, the, the capacity or the role to check on that status. Charities weren't required um, to report to them on an annual basis. So there was no means of them double-checking the ongoing um, validity of charities in the absence of a formal complaint being raised. And they right. were, formal complaints to the ATO were quite rare uh, at the time. So if you were in the club, that was it. You were pretty much You're in pretty the much club. You are pretty much it. Yeah. And so one of the huge tasks that we had when we got started was to assure ourselves that every entity that was on that paper-based list, and I underscore yeah, okay. paper-based, yep. <laughs> um, we needed to check. So we had the intent of being a digital operator, so we had a massive task just to get uh, all of that information uh, applied digitally. The first step we took was to do a mail-out to all of those charities. We got a whole lot of return to senders. We then had to double-check all of those. Like right. It was a really 
um, arduous task that had you know dozens of iterations really like we, bring it into a new generation indeed and, and of course winnowing down from that very large original list to the ones that were still validly operating and what we did when, when we tried multiple times to contact a charity and we got no response we would then put a few hundred at a time up on the internet and we'd put out a notice saying we don't believe these charities are operating if you have evidence to otherwise let us know yeah, right. otherwise we'll revoke their status and since we've been in operation in the five years we've revoked the charitable status of now around 19,000 charities yeah quite a significant number it's a big number now that's not all from that original list of 56,500 from the ATO many of those are because since we've begun operating and required annual reporting they haven't reported to us for two okay. years in a row right. we call them double defaulters um, anyone who's a double defaulter, we withdraw from the register. Okay. So that means we have revoked their uh, registration. And so it could be of those 19,000, some have ceased to operate, many have ceased to operate and haven't informed us. But there may be others that simply didn't have the administrative capability or made the assessment that the tax concessions weren't worth the effort that they had to put right, in yeah, yeah. Um, to meet the obligations of being um, a, a viable charity and, and they have themselves effectively ceased their own operation. And of course, in addition to the ones that we have um, ourselves intervened and withdrawn, there are a significant number of charities that themselves uh, have voluntarily withdrawn because okay. they've just run their course. Yep, they yep. might have been fundraising for a particular cause or they might have been, even though they've still got a commitment to the cause, they just can't get people to take um, office roles or whatever. Yeah, right. So there was quite a big task in turning it from a paper-based ATO enterprise into yeah. this digital by default yep. charity-specific regulation with the ACNC. And one of the objects of the ACNC is to reduce the reporting burden, the red tape on the sector. Has there been much progress in the way of this over the five years? In relation to the red tape reduction, uh, it's been quite difficult for a number of reasons. One, when the original proposal went to Cabinet to create the ACNC, there was a single object mm -hmm. to promote and enhance public trust and confidence in the not-for-profit sector. Okay. After months of consultation on the draft bill, two further objects were added. The middle object about the sustainability of the sector and the final object on red tape reduction. But we were never given the additional money for oh, those two okay. objects. So the work that we did on red tape reduction, we had to find the resources by, if you like, squeezing other parts of the enterprise. So that was one. The second was that due to the uncertainty about our future, which of course became more acute once the Abbott government won the 2013 election in September 2013, um, Many of the charities thought, well, the government's going to abolish this lot. Why would we Right, okay, do it? what's the I, I point? Mean, <laughs> and quite genuinely, I think they thought, well, we don't have to worry anymore. Yeah, That's a government yeah. policy. We don't have to do this. So we had a huge job um, coaxing, cajoling, yeah. you know, enticing, trying to get them to understand that while the Act was still in place, they mm -hmm. were still legally required um, to comply. Uh, so that was really quite a, a challenge. Yeah. And it got very close, didn't it? As you, you said, while the Act was still in place, yeah. it got very close to no longer being in place at one point, didn't it? I think it did because in March 2014, on the first of the Abbott government's repeal days, they brought forward a very slender 
piece of uh, legislation, the uh, ACNC uh, Repeal Bill 1, which fundamentally foreshadowed that at a coming repeal day, uh, ACNC Repeal Bill 2 would be brought forward and that would outline the arrangements for the successor agency. But the government never brought Repeal Bill 2 forward. Okay. Uh, and so once we got past October 2014, so the government had then been in place for around 13 months, uh, and we thought, well, we can't really stall on this red tape work much longer, yeah. you know, because it's an object in the Act and yep. we're required to implement the Act. So we resuscitated bilateral relations with the states and territories. We reactivated discussions at the Commonwealth level, um, and we got on with the work of red tape reduction. And we're quite, I mean, I say happily now, mm. in a situation where all jurisdictions have either put in place legislation to harmonise their regulatory and reporting arrangements with the ACNC, or they have uh, made a commitment that it'll be done by the next reporting period. Right. So by the 1st of July 2018, mm -hmm. we should have all jurisdictions on board. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, a significant step in <clears throat> yeah. red tape reduction, the reporting burden on the charities. Yeah. I mean, it'd be wonderful if the next step is that we get some harmonisation of fundraising reform, but one step at a time. One step know. at a time. Yeah. And in your view, how has the... Well, let's make this a two-part question. How has the ACNC fared as an agency over the five years? And I guess as a corollary to that, the charity sector itself, now yeah. that it has its own dedicated federal regulator and has had for five years, how do you think the charity sector has fared? So let's start with the ACNC. I think um, it's, it has been a difficult um, establishment period because of all of that uncertainty. Right. Uh, and we all, as humans, cope differently uh, with uncertainty. We certainly, for a while, had a very high rate of attrition, as some people um, chose mm. to leave, and absolutely that's their right. Um, so I think for the ACNC itself, when the Turnbull government in March 2016 uh, made the announcement via Christian Porter and Kelly O'Dwyer, the ministers, that they would retain the ACNC, there was like a slow exhalation. Right. You know, okay. We thought, right, we can now breathe. Yep. <laughs> uh, we don't have to be like vigilant every moment. You know, uh, it, it was it made a tremendous difference, and and we're very grateful. I think that the uh, the government uh, clarified its position, the Turnbull government. Um, I think, curiously. The almost state of siege under which we began perhaps focused our energies in ways that may not have been the case if we'd had a more relaxed time okay, frame. Okay, right, yep. Uh, it certainly, I think, bonded those staff who remained because the staff who remained had a deep sense of commitment to the enterprise and they were, um, I think, very keen to see it survive yeah. and, and thrive. And so I think people... Uh, are across the first five years of the ACNC that, you know, I've been privileged to be involved, I think they've really given their all. Mm -hmm. And they've, you watch the staff around here, they work very hard and yep. they're prepared to go the extra mile. So I think from where the ACNC sits, it's really uh, this the end of this phase, which of course finishes with a mandatory review of the Act, which mm -hmm. is very well-timed yep. to, to really see where there are gaps or anomalies or unintended consequences that can be dealt with um, by a review. And then I think the ACNC ought to be go able to go forward really um, on a basis of yep. strength. For the sector itself, 
I've talked to countless people who have said, uh, although they were nervous when the ACNC was established and some even resentful that they were mm. going to have to report annually, knowing that their governing documents and all of their financial and, and governance affairs mm -hmm. would be known publicly, they went about a review. Right. They, they revisited their arrangements. Um, it was a, a point in time for many, uh, many charities where they reviewed their practice, and I think that's got to be a good thing. Uh, to think for the sector now that there are the, the governance standards, mm -hmm. uh, there are some markers in the ground that help people understand right. this is what a well-functioning charity looks like. Uh, and in addition to that, um, the ACNC itself, but also places like um, Justice Connect and many of the professional bodies have created materials mm. that mean charities can now get access to a host of materials that assist them move toward a state of good governance. Uh, right. So that, I think, has been... Which is becoming the norm, too, this I... expectation that there is good governance in the third sector, as yeah. well as, as you mentioned previously, business yeah. and government. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think the other thing is that because we cleanse and then aggregate the data that they provide us in the annual information statement each year, we then give it to the, the University of New South Wales to analyse and provide a, an independent report on the sector. We now have a census on the sector every year. Yeah. And that um, is, I think, uh, a body of work that gives the sector a real strength because people um, know... Uh, pretty much all they need to know about the sector in terms of the finances in the sector, where the sources of funding are coming from, how the monies are being spent, the key activities in the sector, the beneficiaries, right. etc. And all of this was unknown previously? It was absolutely unknown. You know, people were just making their best guess. Yeah, right. So if you think about um, something that, um, if you like, professionalises the sector, puts it on a different footing, I think that together with the professional standards, together with the education and advice that's available, um, has had a tremendous impact on really creating a, a step forward for the sector. Because uh, I wouldn't want to suggest that it was amateur before and it's professional now, right. something as dark as that. <laughs> yeah. It's always been, um, I think, an extremely well-run sector, but yeah. we didn't know. And no, course, one, yeah. no one could attest to that. So it's not as though we've had to go through and have this huge clean-out of bad practice and whatever. It's actually that we've been able to build on the enormous goodwill in the sector and the willingness and capacity to improve on that to get uh, to where we are now, where I think we um, can say hand on heart to the Australian community, you can trust charities in Australia, you can give with confidence uh, because they're very well run. I think that's a very, very good point to end on, that charities do deserve the trust of the public and they are well run. Yep. Just one last question, actually, yeah. to finish up. What challenges do you foresee for the sector in the next few years? Well, we know that, um, that there's a deep concern about the potential influence of other countries in Australia's affairs. Um, and so there's been a lot of uh, government inquiry into advocacy and that's not confined to charities it's political parties and others yep. um, but of course it's one of the hallmarks of the charitable sector that it advocates for the purposes you know for which it's yep. created so I think that could be difficult for the charitable sector and uh, there's going to need to be a lot of dialogue to get to a point where there's a common understanding of 
um, the, the legal boundaries of that capacity, but also the legitimacy of that position. I think that's one. Um, there's always in the sector uh, a concern about funding. There's very few charities that you talk to that say, we've got all the money we need yeah, and of course, things yeah. are just fine. <laughs> so I think that that will continue. One of the things that we've found fascinating as the regulator, that just over half of the income in the sector is generated by the charities themselves, oh, which okay. we yeah. see as very healthy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we, we keep saying uh, quite often that profit's not a dirty word, that charities should work to get themselves on a sustainable footing as long as the incomes that are generated are put back into the charitable purpose. Of course, yeah. Yeah, so that, that makes good sense. Um, and then I think um, it, it could be that the changes that governments are putting in place um, to the way that they fund their services will have an impact on some of the smaller charities in the regional and right. remote areas. So uh, I think it's worth keeping a vigilant eye that they don't inadvertently make it extremely difficult for those uh, smaller charities to remain viable. Lots to think about and you'll be watching it from the sidelines. No longer, no longer in the chair as the as the head of the regulator. No, that's true. But I, 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 I'm not sure I'll be in the sidelines so much as <laughs> okay. perhaps working in a different way. Right, I, right. I've got got some involvements lined up um, in the sector for the future, and uh, I'm very excited about you know being engaged in a different way. Well, I'm sure everyone in the sector is excited as well to know that they've got you on their team, and I might take this opportunity just to thank you very much for your time. Firstly, for this podcast episode we always appreciate you taking the time to talk to us on the podcast but also for your hard work and dedication i think dedication is a really important word in this instance over the five years of the acnc on behalf of everyone at the acnc and the charity sector more broadly a sincere thank you susan thank you be sure to check out other episodes of acnc charity chat and other resources including guides fact sheets and webinars on our website at acnc.gov.au and if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you happen to access it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.